0: Hello, I'm Ona Merku, and welcome to the Reimagining Capital Projects podcast. Our discussion today is all about BIM, or Building Information Modelling, in the capital projects space. And I'm delighted to be joined by two new guests who are well-versed in this topic. Andrew Walker, a digital consultant within PwC's Capital Projects team, leading our work in realising the performance and efficiencies and benefits of BIM. And John Kirby, BIM Director director at High Speed 2, a landmark £56 billion high-speed railway project in the UK. Welcome to you both.
1: Thanks, Ian. Thank so. Good to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Andrew, great to have you in the podcast. Uh, our listeners will have a varying understanding of BIM, its terminology, and its application. But I am curious, uh, what exactly does BIM mean to you?
2: So I think there's, you know, there's many different definitions of BIM out there. I think um, you know, object oriented modeling, federated modeling, all, the, all these sorts of technical jargon. I think, for me, at its simplest, it's really just the construction industry's approach to how they digitise built assets through the lifecycle of those assets, so that's through design, build, handover, and operation, and it's how you create and manage that information right the way through the lifecycle, um, essentially creating that you know sort of digital version of the physical asset that you're building, uh, and then how you sort of maintain that through the lifecycle. Is this a digital twin term you hear a lot of? Yeah, I think I think it is that. I think it's you know I think what's good about the digital twin term is it. it you know it is that it is that sort of uh, I guess that digital version of the physical asset uh, that you can use to help inform your decision-making on the physical asset and it sort of lives its own life both before the physical asset and and alongside it when the physical asset exists I think the other thing for me around BIM as a as a term is it, it's a bit of a badge and probably an unhelpful one in some in some parts of the industry because uh, it has quite a technical sort of um, reputation around it when actually it's you know more fundamentally it's just about how we can how you can use it to digitize sort of digitize the built environment.
0: John you're a client for a major infrastructure project is this
1: kind of your perspective as well? Absolutely I completely agree with what Andrew just said for me it's it's really about uh, it's almost a philosophy and a way of working so it's not just a technology it's not just a process and it's certainly not just a 3d model Um, And I think if anyone says that you can buy BIM in a box, then they're certainly lying. Um, That's certainly not the case. And and if we could, then I certainly have bought it before. (laughs) Um, From also just to add a little bit of context to it. So um, a couple of years ago, there was an industry study done um, on digital transformation. And they looked at a number of different industries and sectors um, and if we look at where construction sat within that league table, it actually sits second from the bottom, only just above agriculture and hunting. And obviously that's not a great place for, for us to be. Um, it does present a lot of opportunities for us to improve, but in terms of where we sit within that league table, and like you expect retail and banking to
0: be at the top, um, which they were. So, so, re- so really what you're saying there is there's an opportunity here for a big shift in attitude in terms of how construction approaches um, BIM and the use of like digital infrastructure within within the construction process? Absolutely.
1: So I think BIM um, and the government's mandate for BIM is really the the big step change, the big transformation for us to start to improve our position within that league table and for us to start really being digitally transformed. And that can't just mean us taking a a traditional paper-based process and making it electronic because that's not going to have the same emphasis um, and impact that we need it to have. So it's not just about producing a 3D model, which is what people, um, or some people, believe BIM is about, um, just because the British standard tells you to.
0: It's much more than that. It's about exploiting data. So clear, clearly you're living this every day. Um, so from your perspective, what, what are the real benefits of BIM um, from a project delivery sense and even from measuring KPIs as you progress? So. Um,
1: A few years ago, we came up with a target for our um, efficiency saving for BIM, and and we attributed around half a billion pounds worth of savings as a minimum um, on the efficient implementation or the effective implementation of BIM on HS2. Um, and we're starting to see some of that come to fruition now. So our supply chain um, are seeing, d- depending on what stage they are, so um, during the hyper-bill um, development, we're seeing some, um, some really efficient processes happening. We're seeing data actually being used um, throughout the select committee process, for example, which is um, giving some real benefit to how we're going through that legislative process. We're also seeing um, some benefits during or lots of benefits during scheme design particularly around how we're quantifying um, our cost estimates um, and there's some really big savings um, being seen there so we're really starting to see some of these come um, uh, some of the work that we've done to
0: um, to define what we want from BIM actually come to fruition Andrew from your perspective like uh, does that resonate with the stuff you've seen um, from an industry perspective
2: yeah absolutely I think <clears throat> I think the potential benefits are, are you know r- really significant but there's so many different Ways that you can use BIM that obviously impact the actual benefits you're going to realise at the end of it, and I think we um, one, one thing that comes to mind. We did an interesting piece of work for for the UK government, looking at analysing and quantifying the benefits of BIM, and we essentially created a bit of a framework that had about 117 different ways in which you could you could use BIM, and then the benefits that they would generate. And you know, obviously, if if you're not using BIM in certain ways, you won't generate certain certain benefits, and that's everything from you know. And what we found through that was there's benefits generated from simple or common, commonly known things around BIM, like using the 3D model essentially for a bit of design coordination and reviews helped the design team resolve those issues just more efficiently. Um, and so there was savings there. But actually, what we found was the biggest benefits were in the operational phase, and I think that's probably you know in, it, probably intuitive to people in the sector. But I think it was useful that it was backed up. And, and really, one of the specific examples there was around the the access to, to better inform- better asset information um, for for the operators and maintainers was was one of the key benefits there, uh, and it actually increased their first first time fix rates on the reactive maintenance, and they attributed about a ten percent saving to all their reactive maintenance as a result of having just much better asset information from from the BIM model through from a, from a BIM process that had gone through the life cycle?
1: So um, Andrew that piece of work has been um, has been really great for for us and for industry um, it's been really hard for us to quantify the savings that attributed to BIM purely just attributed to the process and the technology and, and all of the things I, I talked about earlier um, and it's equally as hard to evidence that you've actually saved something against that because it, it's an efficiency saving it's stopping something happen that would have happened if you hadn't have done that. So again, it's really hard. So having the work that that PwC have done has has been really helpful from that regard.
2: Yeah, and I would would, um, say thank you, John, (laughs) I guess. Um, I, I think I would reflect that it was you know, those conversations were quite challenging because, you know, in, in some organisations, some individuals, there's a natural optimism to think actually, you know, we would have found these issues already, anyway, regardless of whether we used BIM. Um, but actually that was sort of, you know, getting into that detail was really helpful to find those specific um, specific cases where there were benefits. And and overall, the sort of summarise the overall findings there, we did find about 3% of the whole life cost was a saving. And I do think, I think there's many reasons why actually the real benefits are larger. But but even that three percent um, is quite significant when you compare it to the you know the average margin of, of contractors being at around one one and a half percent. But also when you extrapolate it over really significant projects like hs two or the national infrastructure pipeline, what sounds like a relatively small percent actually becomes sort of a real really significant number in absolute
0: terms. So so to cap, so capture John, to capture the benefits that Andrew and yourself have just described. Um, What steps should organisations take to making sure that BIM is implemented correctly on their programmes or projects?
1: So um, for me it's um, you almost have to start right at the beginning. You have to focus on getting the basics right. So that's um, making sure that you really understand what your processes look like, Um, even things like making sure you've got the right taxonomies associated with your data, making sure that your data is structured, making sure that you know um, even just the metadata and the the attributes that you're storing against it all of that kind of stuff adds up to making sure that you can find the data that you can actually use it later um, and that you can actually then do uh, start to do some um, more powerful things with it um, I think If we look at BIM um, in its widest sense, it impacts on technology. As I mentioned, it impacts on process. It's got a data side, but it's also got a cultural people side, which is the transformation bit. And it's really easy to forget about the the, the people side, the culture side. Um, And that is actually the most important and the most challenging. So if it's about digital transformation, then we do need to make sure that right culture is in place because um, I know from experience that if you try and do this and you haven't got the right Um, culture you haven't won people's hearts and minds with with the benefits and the ways of working then as soon as the pressure hits data will be the thing that people forget about and and it will be the thing that doesn't get delivered or doesn't get delivered to the right quality and if we're talking about a minimal minimal viable product that includes data then we need to make sure that um, we've got the project managers um, and the whole of the organization and supply chain on the same page
2: yeah and i think I'd, i'd completely echo that piece around the importance of people i think you know, when I think about that transformational change, it's people process systems in that order of importance and challenge in terms of having having that successful result at the end of the transformation. Um, and, and I think I agree in terms of, I think clients really or organisations really need to focus on where where BIM can drive most benefits for their organisation. And to do that, they sort of, they need to understand the business processes that, that can be impacted by BIM. To sort of strike out those uses of BIM that aren't relevant, but then focus on the really value adding ones to their organisation. And particularly also cognizant of their sort of role in the asset lifecycle. So, some organisations, you know, a, a design consultant might be quite focused up front in the design phase. Uh, compare that to an owner or operator who takes it right the way through from concept to sort of the ultimate asset operation and maintenance phase. You know they've got very different sort of business processes that they need to think about how, how BIM can actually help those those sort of business processes through the life cycle.
0: So Andrew Den, re- reverting back to a wider industry view looking at a from a construction or infrastructure or a real estate perspective, where is BIM on its journey to today then really in sort of realizing and, and grabbing these benefits that we've just like described in detail here.
2: Sure. So I think the I, th- I think it's been a long journey. It's probably fair to say back to the um, sort of the construction strategy of twenty eleven and, and and previously. I think, as John mentioned earlier, the the mandate of twenty or the BIM level two mandate around twenty sixteen definitely helped the industry in that initial adoption phase and helped sort of kickstart the way that organisations are starting to to use BIM. I think you, you read the like the NBS surveys every year and and at the moment I think last year they said about seventy five percent of respondents were using BIM in a BIM in a meaningful way, which is obviously increasing year on year. So that's great. But I think that is, to me, that's still quite an isolated use of, of BIM in terms of how you actually use it to maybe better design your, your buildings or maybe people starting to integrate it with the construction process and understand how sequencing works on site. It, it's still, you know, some, 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 there's definitely some leading edge um, but there's also a big trailing edge on the industry for that and I think that in, you know, in the future there's this real opportunity for it to have a much more fundamental role in, in helping clients digitise and organisations digitise their business.
0: So, so John, from a H two perspective, like what, what are the key challenges or blockers that are impeding a successful B M strategy? Um, so um, I think this, this is probably... Um,
1: more from an industry perspective, but obviously um, HS2 as well. So I think the value of data is generally not understood. Um, I think we are getting better at articulating the the benefits and and the value of um, actually working at a data level, um, but it's really hard to um, to move away from from traditional processes which which are generally not data driven. Um, so so we need to get better at that. Um, back in 2013 2014, um, HS2 or we conducted a um, a BIM upskilling study which at its time um, was one of the most comprehensive studies looking at our supply chain capability to be able to deliver on the requirements that we were going to be putting into the marketplace for our main work civils contract Um, and uh, it was quite a successful study it came up with a number of recommendations Um, one of those recommendations said that if we don't intervene um, in terms of upskilling some of the supply chain particularly some of the lower tiers then we weren't going to be able to get our requirements delivered to us so um, we put together um, a, an e-learning site, um, bimupskilling.com, and we've had around 3,000 people from our supply chain, from HS2 Limited, um, and from um, academia and, and other parts of the world go in, complete those modules, um, and
2: hopefully now really understand what BIM means to HS2, and they can start delivering to our requirements. And I think from, from sort of someone outside of the HS2 organisation, I think it's fantastically positive to hear that story of how you know how transformational BIM is being treated within HS2, um, because I think back to where we started on this. I think sometimes BIM does have that unhe- unhelpful reputation as being a bit of a technical tool that sits down in technical teams, and it's not sort of elevated to that to that sort of opportunity, or not elevated to the, to the level where it's an opportunity to help actually. You know, digitise a business and improve some of these wider business processes. So I think that's that's you know great great to hear from someone who sits outside of HS2 as well.
0: So Andrew, with that perspective, then. Where do we go from here? What is the future of BIM?
2: So that's a big. There's probably probably a few theses uh, around around that subject. I think. Um, I guess from my perspective, I think it's, and we've touched on it. I think I, already. I think it's broadening the use of BIM data. So I think it's. You know, there are some quite narrow ways in which it's used at the moment. Um, you know like parametric modeling i think is, is is something that's starting to you know what well, has been used in in you know around structures and sort of isolated buildings but actually to sort of broaden the opportunity to to use that in a way that is going to materially impact programs programs of work i think is, is is something that's interesting i think and that's a good example maybe where where bim is it's almost a great enabler of all the, lots of exciting things so i think some of the client conversations i've had recently you know across the, there's a, a across a national portfolio of projects uh, clients looking to use bim to aggregate the, dem, the material demand across those projects so that they that can then be a lot smarter in how they do procurement. So employing like category management techniques um, to to, to buy things smarter. I think there's lots of, um, you know, lots of, uh, I guess, airtime at the moment around exciting things like 3D printing and 3D printing your buildings and drones for progress measurement. I think all of that you know, is built on the fundamentals of having an intelligent 3D model of your of your asset, which is which is what you know fundamentally BIM is trying to give you. So I think that's where in the future we'll start to see sort of more of those sort of I guess business wide um, processes being impacted and, and benefiting from from um, the transformation that BIM can enable, and ultimately hopefully imp- improve the productivity of the sector. Back to John's point, we want to step a bit further away from hunting than we are at the moment. So so hopefully BIM can can support
0: that. Based on what Andrew just said John, have you seen anything in the industry on um, the uptake of AI and machine learning in the BIM space? Yeah. so so again as Andrew
1: said, using BIM as the foundation um, in terms of the, the data that is that is produced and, and gathered through that process. Um, we're, we're seeing some generative design techniques used, um, so looking at how um, high-performance computing can be used um, with artificial intelligence to actually take the data, take the inputs and then produce thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of of different designs um, that meet those input requirements to varying degrees of of compliance. Um, That's a really great application of this. It takes away some of the mundane design tasks that engineers have to go through that may or may not like that um, activity, frees them up to do things that um, they are unable to do at the moment. So again, really linking into Andrew's point about productivity. So I think from from HS2's perspective, If we if we look at what what we're trying to do from that and how we are trying to um, almost predict where BIM is going to go and and put our vision to that. So we've we've already talked about a digital twin um, and we certainly see that as something that um, we will be absolutely using um, and at the moment maturing towards um, in operations and maintenance. So really looking at how we can move from reactive uh, maintenance to predictive maintenance using. internet of things, sensors, all of those kind of things to actually understand the real-time performance of our assets. But now during design and construction, um, we are looking at how we can, what we're calling a virtual railway, use that to really understand HS2 um, as it's designed um, and as as it's actually starting to be built, do digital rehearsals, so look at how we can understand the construction um, sequence and look at how we can make better decisions earlier um, and not have any issues on on site when we get there so and I I think all of this is really aiming towards the the government's um, view of the national digital twin so really how what does that look like how can we as HS2 and other um, uh, sort of big organizations big projects feed into that as well and make sure that
0: we've got this UK wide view of infrastructure well, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Um, my thanks to the Digital Twins, Andrew and John, for being here today. Thank, thank you. John. Thank um, you, Aaron. That was a really good insight and really good chat. And again, to everyone listening at home, thank you all. Uh, we will be back again soon with more episodes. But in the meantime, we have a healthy back catalog of episodes online, so please do check them out. Some of the content today um, that was mentioned will be also referenced in the show notes. and. As always, please do check out our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash reimagine. Please subscribe to the series to get all our latest episodes. And please don't forget to rate and review. So until next time, thank you all for listening.